Today, I am announcing that our government has newly approved the Trans Mountain Expansion Project. This is Vancouver Province columnist Mike Smith. And I'm Vancouver Sun columnist Rob Shaw. It's time to go in the house and go inside BC politics. Right, welcome to another podcast. That's, of course, the voice of Justin Trudeau making the big announcement this week that the Trans Mountain Pipeline Expansion Project gets the green light again. Uh, shocking just about no one, I guess, eh, Rob? I mean, this was kind of the worst kept secret in Canada. This thing was going to go ahead. Who would have thought that a pipeline originally approved by Ottawa and then purchased by Ottawa for $4.5 billion, would then be approved again by oh, Ottawa. Wow. <laughs> but here you go. Yeah, the big uh, green light from Justin Trudeau's cabinet. So a lot of discussion about this pipeline for, I don't know, three, three four years now, as yeah. it's kind of worked its way through. The Coles Notes version, if you're not following this, is basically the there is an existing pipeline from just north of Edmonton that comes into a terminus in Burnaby, uh, it's the Kinder Morgan pipeline, and it brings in a variety of crude products, refined gasoline, oil, that type of thing. And the proposal is to twin it. So run another right. line beside it, which would actually triple capacity, uh, almost up to 900,000 barrels of uh, product a day. And the question is, does this lead to more tankers in the waters here, more chance of a spill? All sorts of things we've been talking about for quite a long time now. There's a lot of politics at play as well because the yeah. BC government has opposed this. But we did get to a point where there was a project was quashed and then it came back and then it went out for consultations. And this is kind of the last, I think, formal approval that it'll get from the federal government. And Justin Trudeau, I noticed, Smitty, you had a column where he kind of said, look, Trudeau took a look at the pros and the cons and the politics of this thing and he just decided to go ahead. Yeah, I think Trudeau basically had to do this because there have been some other pipeline projects elsewhere in the country that have fallen apart and one in northern British Columbia as well that was proposed that didn't go anywhere. So this was really the, the only one that had a chance to go forward. And I think Trudeau is just trying to balance uh, his appeal to, to voters here with an election coming up in the fall because, you know, he's brought in a national carbon tax. He's he's done a lot of other high profile environmental measures. Recently, the the announcement of a ban on single use plastics, which came out last week, I think the timing of that was mm-hmm. deliberate. You know, I think he wanted to show his environmental bona fides, you know, and then show the next week that he could do a pipeline too and be everything to every voter. He can do it all. You know, we can have our proverbial cake and eat it too. He can protect the environment on one hand and we can also have this pipeline at the same time. So I think that's kind of the message from Trudeau that you can have it both ways. And it kind of differentiates himself from his opponents because his opponents are kind of on one side or the other. Like Andrew Shear from the Conservatives is pro-pipeline, but he's opposed to the carbon tax, which he reiterated again this week, he, he would scrap. And if you take a look at the Green Party or the NDP, they're anti-pipeline, but they support the carbon tax. So only Trudeau is the guy on both sides of it, right? Saying like, hey, yeah, we, I, you can have it both ways here. So I think that's that's the appeal he's going to try and, and make to, to voters in the fall. But, you know, of course, it's a controversial project, especially right here in British Columbia, where you've got the provincial government opposed to it. The municipal government of Vancouver opposed to it. The city of Burnaby opposed to it. A bunch of co- coastal First Nations opposed to it. And yet Trudeau said this week, this pipe's going in the ground, and he wants the shovels to start breaking ground here pretty soon. 
He acknowledged, and we'll play this clip here, that, uh, you know, nowadays when you do anything, you're going to have unhappy people. And uh, he definitely realizes there are going to be some very ticked off uh, residents uh, who are unhappy to see him approve this project. Let's hear what he has to say about that. First of all, we uh, recognize and understand that there are people out there for whom no amount of accommodations or conditions or uh, changes to the plan would have made uh, the purchase of the Trans Mountain Pipeline and the approval of the Trans Mountain uh, Pipeline expansion um, acceptable. Uh, those people uh, will not be convinced by the arguments that we've put forward. We accept that and they will use uh, the, the legal means at their disposal to, to advance that argument. But we also know from having heard from uh, hundreds upon hundreds of, of people in consultations, spoken with thousands upon thousands of Canadians across the country uh, in various ways, uh, that people expect us to move forward in ways that both create good jobs for the future and protect our environment for our kids. That's exactly what we're doing today and that's what we're going to stay focused on. So this idea that no matter how much accommodation you do for some people, it's simply not going to be enough. And accommodation is a key word because obviously that was one of the reasons that this pipeline was quashed by the Federal Court of Appeal in 2018 was not enough was it done to accommodate the concerns of First Nations, people affected by this pipeline. Ottawa kind of went in there and said, yeah, yeah, okay, we'll write down what you have to say, but we're not going to do anything about it. So accommodation is key. And the, and the Prime Minister is saying, look, like, can't some groups, probably environmental organizations, uh, um, are never going to be happy no matter well, what we do. I think that's true. Uh, you know, you could have a lot of people criticize the process here that the National Energy Board hearings are inadequate or there's not enough protections of the environment that's been put in place to mitigate the risks of this thing. But the fact is you could you could hold environmental impact hearings from now and for the next century and there you still won't convince some people to go along with the project. I mean, that's just just a simple fact. But but it's interesting that just like Canadians as a whole are divided on it, um, First Nations are divided on it too. And you've got some coastal First Nations that seem to get a, they always get a lot of attention, vehemently opposed to this pipeline. But there's a lot of First Nations along the pipeline route, a lot of them inland First Nations that are uh, all for the thing and actually want to buy a chunk of it. And for me, I think Trudeau senses that this is a way to maybe sell the pipeline to undecided voters in the fall if he can demonstrate that it's it's not only going to be safe, but it's it's going to help achieve his kind of uh, reconciliation goals as well, and that First Nations are involved in it and involved in running it and actually maybe even own a piece of it. Maybe that helps him sell it to voters. Well, let's see what he has to say about that, and then we'll okay. discuss it a bit more. This is the Justin Trudeau on First Nations here. We directed the National Energy Board to examine the impacts TMX could have on the marine environment and provide recommendations. We doubled the size of our consultation teams and reinitiated phase three consultations with Indigenous communities. This work was overseen by former Supreme Court Justice Frank Iacobucci. Minister Sohi personally met with over 65 Indigenous groups across 46 meetings. And on that, I'd like to thank the Minister and all Indigenous communities for their participation in and commitment to this process. At the end of the day, we listened and we are acting on what we heard. 
Indigenous communities said more needed to be done to protect and restore salmon habitat in the Fraser River. They told us they wanted a seat at the table and better information in managing activities affecting the Salish Sea and the project route. They asked that we build on our efforts to protect the southern resident killer whale and its habitat. They said they needed to be better equipped to deal with any kind of marine incident, and that included co-developing a role for Indigenous communities in marine response. We listened to community concerns, and we are acting on community ideas. We're working with Indigenous peoples to co-develop and implement real accommodation measures to make our environment, our coast, and our communities safer, healthier, and better protected than ever before. Yeah, I mean, if you listen to a guy like uh, Mike Libourdet, who is the chief of the Whispering Pines Indian Band near Kamloops, and he'll tell you that they've been living with that pipeline. It runs right through their reserve, and they've been living with that for 60 years, and they don't have a problem with it, you know? And he says, look, we know how to run these things. A lot of our people who live in this community, they work in the oil patch, uh, they'll they'll go to Alberta and work in the oil fields, and we're very comfortable with it. And we know how to manage these projects. We know how to mitigate the risks. And that's one of the many First Nations that are now saying they want to buy a piece of the of the pipeline. Now that doesn't, you know, it doesn't bring the, these other First Nations on side, of course, who will, who are vehemently opposed to it. But I do think it helps Trudeau um, to sell it. It'll be interesting to see what happens next on the idea of selling the pipeline, because you hear from Ottawa that they bought it to, in their words, de-risk it, so that they had to buy this pipeline because a private company like Kinder Morgan was watching people chain themselves to their fence at Burnaby Mountain, you know, march down the street, go to court, seek injunctions, cause delays, drive up costs, and the private sector just wouldn't go ahead with this project. So the federal government stepped in and said, we got a fleet of lawyers. We can do this. We will de-risk it. And you heard that again and again from the Prime Minister. I don't think they can sell the pipeline to First Nations or anyone else, for that matter, until it's de-risked. And I'm not sure why a First Nations group necessarily would want to buy it now anyways. Three years before the thing is built, before it's generating money, at the point where all of the upfront capital costs and problems exist now. I think maybe you enter into agreement with Ottawa to try and purchase some eventually, but I don't know if I don't know if a sale goes forward now when you have the worst of the project tied up in courts, people chaining themselves to things. I'm just not quite sure I see that. Yeah, I don't think a sale is necessarily going to go to First Nations interests is going to go through anytime soon because there's actually some competing First Nations groups on this. You know, mm-hmm. there's there's two coalitions of uh, First Nations that have come together to, and they both say they want to buy the pipeline. So the government's in talks with uh, with both sides. So that makes it difficult to maybe get a deal in the short term. And these are very complex deals too. And, and some people have said to me, I thought First Nations were broke and living in poverty. How can they afford to buy, where are they going to get the billions of dollars uh, to buy this pipeline? And the answer to that is they would partner with uh, financial institutions like banks or, and stuff, and they would float a bunch of uh, bonds and uh, debentures to effectively borrow the money uh, to buy it. And I guess a lot of First Nations are thinking, well, eh, there's maybe not a lot of upfront risk for them in, in getting involved in this, and maybe it provides an income stream for them later. I think Trudeau would like to see a deal like that maybe happen in the run-up to an election, maybe a good 
it would be a good visual for him if he's standing there saying like, here I am, we're partnering with First Nations here on this, but it's very, very complicated. Yeah. And I don't think it'll happen before an election. A conditional sale and condition of completion. Maybe some sort of conditional thing. You might see some photo ops of Trudeau with First Nations leaders on this. In, in the fall or the run up to it. The other, uh, you know, key part of the federal government's approval of this pipeline uh, is uh, a giant section of the documents that they release, a 200 page report by former Justice Frank Iacobucci, who was brought in. He's 81 years old, a former Supreme Court of Canada justice, a veteran seasoned legal hawk of the world. And he was brought in to address the First Nations consultations issues. So the first time around that the government tried to approve this project, it was deemed that federal officials who went out to talk to concerned Aboriginal groups were basically taking notes down and doing nothing with the concerns. The project wasn't changing. And the entire point of this third round of consultations was to accommodate, have meaningful consultations with First Nations groups and accommodate them. And you read this 200-page report by uh, Justice Yakabuchi, and it's basically written as a legal brief that a court is eventually going to read one day from a former judge that outlines the Crown's duty to consult, how it did it, the ways that it did it. He talks about 60 officials from 13 federal departments in six teams with 402 meetings, spending $5 million to go around for a year and lay out uh, in meaningful dialogue this project and then some changes. There were some changes made about habitats and seats at the table and better managing ocean projects and killer whale protections, things like that. So there are a lot of people out there who think this project could still be killed by a First Nations challenge that they weren't properly consulted. And that is certainly, I think, going to be one of the court tests that come up. Yeah. But it's tough when you read this this report. I mean, this is a very shrewd political move by Justin Trudeau to get a respected seasoned judge to try and ironclad another First Nations challenge against this. And you come away from reading it thinking, wow, I mean, this may be how the federal government goes forward on projects like this. You you get some respected figure to come in and by the letter of the law produce a giant report that says this is how you consulted and accommodated. Right. And, and, I, and it, it's not clear to me that, that um, I mean, I think that the government's in a way better position now than it ever was to survive another court challenge. Right. They want it to be bulletproof this time in case there is another challenge to say you did not adequately consult First Nations again. And the government can turn around and say, what are you talking about? We bent over backwards here to, to, uh, to consult and accommodate where we could. And that's going to be the answer from, and I spoke to the federal uh, oceans minister this week, uh, Jonathan Wilkinson, on this, and and when you when you put it to him, well, there are some there are some very high profile coastal First Nations here in BC who are opposed to this. Are are you not you know jamming this through over their objections? And he said we've 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 consulted with all of them, right? And we've gone the extra mile, uh, and we've tried to do it right this time. So they want to insulate themselves from another court challenge. There have been also been increased um, environmental protections that the government's put in place. Like an interesting one that jumped out at me this week was uh, a commitment to try and develop some safer tankers that would run more silently right? in order to mitigate the impact on killer whales, iconic threatened animal in our waters that a lot of people are concerned about. And there's another example where the government said, we know uh, and we're using the latest science we can get in order to have this project work and not hurt these whales. So the government's done everything they can to get this project to go forward. 
um, but there's still going to be controversy. And w- one of the things that jumps out at me is the the, the political impact in uh, in British Columbia, the local impact. And Trudeau talked about that, right? Yeah. Shall we have a listen to what he had to say about BC's concerns? Now, I know some people are disappointed by this decision. I understand your disappointment. And I know that for some, your concerns are very tangible. To British Columbians who worry about a spill, for example, know that we take your concerns very seriously. I lived in Vancouver when I was a teacher, and I have deep BC roots. I understand your desire to protect your coastline and your ocean because I share it. Our top priority is making sure there's no spill in the first place. But we know we need to be prepared for anything. I don't know. What do you think is the politics of this, Rob, on the ground here in BC with an election four months away? Well, I mean, it's it's difficult because you get this sense from watching the poll numbers, if you believe the polls, that uh, the Liberals are in deep trouble already when it comes to to British Columbia. And well, they have like 18, 17 seats here in yep. British Columbia. They lost one from Jody Wilson-Raybould and the NDP have 13 right. and the Conservatives have nine, I think. And so that was the Trudeau mania last time. They was, won a lot of seats. In that BC. was Trudeau mania. And, yeah. I, and you know, it, it seems like uh, no matter what Justin Trudeau decided on this pipeline, he was going to lose ground. Uh, in the election. I mean, I, I don't think it was enough to prevent any type of, uh, you know, losses in Alberta. That's not an area where the Liberals are going to do well anyways. And in British Columbia, he's just kind of been eating it for the last year uh, on the Jody Wilson-Raybould SNC-Lavalin scandal on larger issues of Aboriginal reconciliation of, you know, this pipeline as well. And it just seems like I think the question now is who gains from the liberal losses in this fall's election? Is it the conservatives who pick up some seats that they used to hold in the lower mainland? Is it the NDP with a leader and a very unclear policy platform? And I don't really understand what the NDP are running on. But who who stands to gain from the fumbles of Trudeau, I think, including um, on the pipeline? I think the conservatives are, are excited about prospects in B.C., uh, largely because they're doing pretty well in the polls themselves. But then they look at a divided political landscape on the left because Trudeau is fighting um, on the left. You got the NDP, who is the traditional kind of foe on that side of the spectrum. But now you've got the federal Green Party kind of surging. Remember, they just picked up that that seat in that Nanaimo by-election. And Jagmeet Singh, the federal NDP leader, not exactly doing well as the leader of the NDP. So they're split. And I think the conservatives are thinking, wow, we can swoop in here if our opponents are divided. Maybe we can win some some closely, uh, more closely contested seats. So I think they're they're enthusiastic. But another thing that I thought about this week was if Trudeau is thinking that maybe the liberals are thinking, OK, maybe we're going to take a few lumps here in B.C. We might lose some of these seats and not repeat what we were able to achieve last time. But if you look at the politics of this pipeline project in BC. Now, BC's got a reputation as we're an environmental hotbed and we're ground zero for pipeline opposition. But if you look at the polls, even the polls say this pipeline is supported pretty clearly in British Columbia, right? I don't know what to make it. Do you think those numbers are, what, 60% of people in favor of the pipeline? I'm, I'm not I'm sure. I'm kind of buying that because the, the polling numbers have been pretty consistent. Now, that last poll that came out was commissioned by a pro-pipeline group, okay? So we should keep that in mind. 
But the numbers have been pretty consistent that a majority of British Columbians actually support the thing. Now, some people have said to me, yeah, but a lot of the support is in the sort of north and the interior of the province and not where the liberals got their seats. They won a lot of seats in Metro Vancouver. And isn't that where all the pipeline opposition is? And I think, well, maybe that's a good point. But if you drill down in some of the numbers in these polls, it would show that even though support for the pipeline is allegedly lower in Metro Vancouver, it's not that much lower. Like, so even in Metro Vancouver, there would appear to be majority support for the pipeline, if you believe these numbers, okay? But another thing to remember is, take a look at some of these seats that the liberals hold now. Some of these seats are like rock-solid liberal seats forever, like Hetty Fry, right? She has complained about, ooh, this pipeline is bad for me because a lot of my constituents don't like it. So she has actually said that she's worried about this pipeline. Well, yeah, but she's been the MP there for 27 years or something. I think she's won like eight elections in a row. And in the last election, she got like 60% of the vote. Like she wins by a landslide every time. I don't think the liberals are too worried about that. Maybe if they if they go down a tick because of this pipeline, do they lose that seat? I don't know. I just, you know, it'd be hard to imagine Hetty Fry losing an election. Joyce Murray is another one, right? Um Another another MP who has publicly said she's worried about the politics of this pipeline. A lot of people in her riding don't like it. But again, she's another one in, who won like got 58% of the vote and, and beat her opponent by like 20 points or something. So I think maybe the liberals have looked at the numbers on this and have said, yeah, this is a risky thing, but... Um, we crunch the numbers and we think we can sell this in BC too. And we might be suffering from a bit of the echo chamber of the BC New Democrat government who claim because of their victory in the election, which was not an actual victory, that their opposition to the pipeline is, you know, the the majority view of British Columbians. And given the weird electoral dynamics of the last election, you know, the interior election versus the lower mainland election, the hot topic issues of housing and childcare and bridge tolls, all that stuff Metro Vancouver voters voted on. He had a couple Burnaby area ridings where, you know, I remember being out on the campaign where you did hear a bit about the pipeline. But I think we sometimes get trapped into listening to John Horgan and George Heyman and some other ministers of this government say, no, no, everyone we talk to opposes the pipeline. I mean, we ran on opposing the pipeline and look, we're in government. So, and I don't think that's necessarily true either. And so I do kind of think those numbers probably show a more accurate view of British Columbians and especially the dynamics change a little bit with the high gas discussion that we've been having yeah. recently and the debate over whether expanding this pipeline, fiddling with the contracts, changing it from an export pipeline to a more refined gasoline flow to BC. Is, is that possible? Could we do more to bring gas prices? And I think that changes the dynamics about it a, a little bit. As yeah, well. even though that, you know, the, the company, the pipeline company themselves, I remember interviewing some Kinder Morgan officials about this a couple of years ago. And asking them, uh, would this pipeline lead to cheaper gas prices in, in in Vancouver? And you'd think if they're looking for public support on this, you'd think they'd be out there saying, heck yeah, yeah. we'll give you cheaper gas. They never said that. They, no, they that always, wasn't, it wasn't the plan. No, they always said consistently, look, we've said every step of the way, this is an export uh, project. We're, we're building this thing in order to pump this crude oil to the coast of BC and then sell it to foreign buyers. So we've never said this would lead to cheaper gas. But that was the but, oil barons from Kinder Morgan. That's right. Now we got a federal government who owns it. Yes. Maybe they want to change it a little bit. Maybe, for maybe. public support. And it's certainly in the public d- discussion now because even you've, you've even got the public, you've even got the, the new government in Alberta under Jason Kenney 
who are running putting up billboards around uh, Vancouver saying uh, if you want cheap gas tell John Horgan to support this pipeline right now whether you, whether there's evidence to support it whether it be cheap gas or not the fact is that you've got a, the government next door pushing that 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 message and maybe that helps some people if they're undecided about this and they think like yeah you know I want cheaper gas. Maybe I'll support this support this pipeline. Look at Andrew Wilkinson, the BC Liberal leader. He doesn't seem afraid to be supporting this pipeline at all. No, he's out there backing it a hundred percent. Lost in the discussion of all this is the BC Liberal reaction to this approval. Yeah. And I talked to their uh, critic Peter Millobar, and it was an interesting um, point he tried to embed in the response, which I think is crafty by the Liberals, where he said, "Now you know, okay, now that Ottawa has approved this again, we got to get on building it." Premier John Horgan should back away from his opposition in his court cases. And there are hundreds of forestry workers who have oh. lost their jobs in mill closures and, and curtailments. They're, they have a perfect skill set to get out there and start building this pipeline in their oh. communities. And the government should make sure that they all get a chance to go over there and get jobs. And, and I thought, huh, well, That's interesting. I, I have never heard Ottawa or BC talk about <laughs> that. But it's certainly an interesting political kind of wedge that the liberals try to jam in here. A, it highlights the failure of the NDP's forestry policy so far and the collapse of that industry. But B, you know, kind of then sticks it in their eye a little bit too as to you shouldn't be opposing this because there's a lot of people who need jobs who could be working on it. I think that's, I'm not sure if that was just a spur of the moment decision by the liberals or they're going to take that tact, but it, it could give them a little bit of success in some communities. Right. And he's from Kamloops, right? That's right. Millibar. Yeah. And the uh, the pipeline goes right through Kamloops. And it's got a lot of support there because there are people that work on the project there. And there's a, there's a, certainly a perception. I remember covering the election a couple of years ago when it was on and uh, covering a Horgan swing through there. And uh, a lot of people were like pro-pipeline. So and They've had some mill closures too uh, recently. Yeah. So. Yeah. Shall we listen to what Horgan has had to say about it? Yeah, he had an interesting press conference with Environment Minister George Heyman as well, but here's John Horgan and his reaction to the pipeline. I believe it's my job as the Premier of British Columbia to always be vigilant to protect those things that matter to British Columbians, and I'll continue to do that. Although I regret the federal government's decision, it is within their authority to make that decision. It's now up to George and I and the Governor of British Columbia to make sure as this project proceeds... We have no impacts on our marine life. We have no impact on our natural environment. And we do not put at risk one of the hottest economies in the country, an economy that's working for all British Columbians, not just a select few. So I was interested, Smitty, you hear a little bit of it there, but in a larger take on the press conference, I noticed um, some subtle changes in the way that BC is kind of talking about this pipeline now. And they insist, you know, officials insist, oh, no, 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 we haven't changed our position at all. But instead of hearing the old tool-in-the-toolbox opposition, you started to hear from the B.C. government uh, this time, it's the federal government's right to approve this project. The project is going forward, and we are going to do our best to try and achieve environmental safety, fight for British Columbia's coast, fight for the environment, fill the gaps that exist, and and basically try to get some uh, more protection out of Ottawa. And in the past, we've simply heard, you know, the BC government say, we're going to fight this thing. We, we don't think that uh, we have provincial powers that we should be using. We don't think that this has properly been done. National Energy Board hearings have been a sham, as you've, as you've mentioned earlier. Um, and now we're kind of hearing a more, I think, pragmatic um, 
tone from the NDP government. Yeah. And I found that kind of interesting. Yeah, no, like you heard Horgan say there, as this project proceeds at one point, and as part of his comments there, so not not necessarily saying I'm going to, you know, over my dead body, or we're gonna we're gonna fight this thing tooth or nail. We're not going to allow this to happen. So yeah, no, the the language seems to have been moderated a bit, and there's I think maybe it's an an is it an admission that there's not much they can do to stop it? I mean. There is the famous quote from Horgan that in the election two years ago that we'll use every tool in the toolbox to stop this project, right? And Rachel Notley maybe had the funniest line where she said the former NDP leader or the NDP leader in Alberta next door, a very pro pipeline, of course, saying, well, maybe he had a Fisher Price uh, toolbox because uh, they can't really seem to seem to stop it. But I don't know. Maybe that's maybe that's an indication that Horgan himself realizes that the politics of this are maybe not as cut and dried yeah. as, as he would well, hope. And there was another interesting segment of his press conference where he basically said, um, "We are going to continue to issue all permits that are requested by the federal government for this project as right. long as they're lawful and they meet the requirements. Yeah. We've already issued, I think, more than three hundred British Columbia, and we're going to continue to issue them. And you know, it's one of those things that I think New Democrat supporters." maybe missed along the road from the election to government is that in the election, the NDP were saying, we are going to tackle the tanker issue. The, you know, Metro Vancouver Harbor should not be a tanker hub. We should not have the risk of tanker spills. We're going to do something about that. And we're going to fight this project. They can't, the NDP got into government. They learned very quickly. They have absolutely no power to regulate tankers whatsoever. So that fell right off the table. They learned very quickly after that, they can't do anything to permits without risk of a massive lawsuit. Right. So they can't be seen to obstruct any permits. They have to give permits out when they're lawfully requested. Yeah. And then you then you started to hear them basically admit now, well, okay, this whole pipeline is the federal responsibility anyways, despite for a while trying to fight for provincial rights, uh, you know, to restrict environmental catastrophes. And there's all sorts of legal arguments there. And I, I felt listening to the BC government this time, there was a much more of an acceptance and a, we are going to fight to get gaps filled from Ottawa on environmental protections here and less of a, you know, lighting your hair on fire. We're going to take this thing as far as we can to shut it down. Yeah, but not a complete surrender either, right? So they're continuing their uh, court case to the Supreme Court of Canada. And I think for Horgan, it's he realizes that the NDP as a party is a coalition of interests that include an environmental wing of the party, uh, of which... George Heyman, the environment minister, is very much a part of. And also the threat from the Green Party. And they're in a governing agreement with the Green Party as well. So they need the Greens to continue to support them to remain in power. And they're also worried maybe about green gains in another election if they're if they're seen as weak on this pipeline. So I think Horgan is a very sort of delicate balancing act here that he's got to maintain that sort of official opposition to the project. But I think also kind of like as you as you've just done sort of reading between the lines of his comments, kind of maybe a tacit admission that there's not a lot they can they can do about it anyway. Yeah. So one one day years from now, if the NDP's still in government, this is gonna this project will quietly slide into the talking points that the premier uses to talk about economic development of BC. Very similar to the way they're gonna use LNG, a project and uh, you know, uh, uh industry they were very critical of and opposed in its most realistic project, but said they didn't oppose entirely. Now it's a talking point. John Horgan talks about landing the biggest, you know, LNG project, the biggest uh, private project in the history of Canada as an example of why the NDP are helping grow the economy. One day, one day when this settles down, maybe the second term of an NDP government, if they make another second term, this will be part of John Horgan's speaking notes of 
the jobs and, and money generated and helping the Confederation and getting Canada's resources to Tidewater. I can see it. It's just he can't <laughs> say it now because yeah. of the Greens and the environmental wing. But there are there are parts of John Horgan and his his party that welcome this kind of project, I think. Do you think they'll start building it this year, like before an election? Like Trudeau said this week as he approved it, that they ex- they expect construction to begin again in this construction season. Yeah. And then Ian Anderson, who's the head of Trans Mountain, he was a bit more specific, saying that by September, uh, they expect to see shovels in the ground again, including in British Columbia. So that's in advance of an, a federal election in October. Um that's in, that's going to be fascinating politics, I think, for for Trudeau in the run up to this election. You know, because there's there's lots of people out there who said who who vowed to lie down in front of bulldozers. Or imagine if you have a scenario where you got First Nations chiefs or something, or elders being arrested because they're blocking a pipeline or something. I think those wow. shovels are going to go into the ground in the quietest meadow, for, <laughs> furthest away, from, furthest away from any television camera that you could possibly get. Um, yeah, I mean, it seems like. We we are going to see construction, but maybe we're not going to see the kind of construction that causes weeks before an election. Yeah, uh, you wouldn't you, you wouldn't figure Trudeau wants to see huge, you know, civil disobedience opposing this project. You know, so no, no, and you don't want to have green candidates, um, you know, Elizabeth May and others getting headlines opposing a project as they uh, get arrested, as they as they get arrested yeah. and drumming up support uh, from that constituency as well. Yeah. So fascinating. It is a very yeah. interesting topic. It will stay on top of it. Uh, I think there's more as British Columbia kind of winds its arguments through the courts and uh, continues on this project as well. So uh, thank you so much for listening this week to the podcast. Make sure you subscribe on Apple iTunes Follow Mike Smith's work in the province and my work in the Vancouver Sun and follow us on Twitter. And uh, thanks so much for listening. See you next time.